Welcome to the Joy Joya podcast, where jewelry is joy and everyone is encouraged to add more polish and sparkle to the world with topics ranging from marketing tips to business development, best practices and beyond. This is the go-to podcast for ambitious jewelry industry dreamers like you. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and professionals so they can thrive while adding more beauty to the world. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. As we all know, jewelry is joy, so I'll gladly seize any opportunity to talk about it. This is episode 219, and today I'll be sharing an interview with an expert in retail and brand environments. Through her creative agency, she helps brands develop displays, curate spaces, and design client experiences, both physical and digital, that enhance a brand's unique narrative. She doesn't work exclusively with the jewelry industry, but she supported brands like Tiffany & Co. in their visual brand activations. I'll share more about my guest in just a little bit, but here's a preview of what we'll be discussing. What does the word activation mean as it relates to branding and marketing? And what are some general examples of activations commonly used for luxury and jewelry brands? How can a brand's personality be expressed through a brand activation? What steps can you take to ensure consistency across all brand touch points? And why is consistency so important? And more. But before we get to the solid gold of this episode, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both an audio and video component. So you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. I love creating this content as my act of service to you, my awesome listeners and viewers. And you can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other jewelry dreamers find it too. In this segment of the podcast, I give out my Sparkle Award for the week. During this segment, I highlight a jewelry brand that's impressing me with their marketing. The Sparkle Award is also interactive, so you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's also inspiring you, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. This week's Sparkle Award goes to a London-based jewelry brand named Lark and Barry, and they make really beautiful, fine jewelry pieces out of lab-created diamonds. I believe I subscribed to their email list a while ago. There was something about the brand that really stood out to me, and I've been super drawn to their holiday email marketing campaigns. So I'm highlighting Larkinberry for their beautiful and eye-catching email strategy at this time of year. They're doing more of like a traditional 12 days of Christmas. So every day they're sending out an email highlighting a different product or a different look. And they're really taking the traditional approach. So like the partridge in a pear tree. I can't even remember all the things for the 12 days of Christmas, but they have this beautiful illustration in every email of the thing for that day and then superimpose an image of their jewelry with it. And it really works for their brand because they're very elegant. They have a more like 
traditional kind of look to their brand identity. And I've been really enjoying just following along and looking at their emails. And I think that that is a success. So good work, Lark and Barry. As I mentioned, you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. Let's discuss some news related to jewelry or marketing. Each week, I share my thoughts about three relevant articles, and you can get those links yourself by checking out the show notes of this podcast. The first article comes from marketingbrew.com, and it's called Why a D2C Wine Company Started a branded podcast. So obviously, wine company, this is not about the jewelry industry, but about the wine industry. But I still thought it was very relevant because I think there is crossover between the two industries. And also, I just loved this example of a unique approach to marketing. So Wine Access is this D2C wine retailer, and they recently kicked off the second season of their podcast, Wine Access unfiltered. I loved reading about this because it's an example of a company doing some really unique things with content marketing, specifically in this branded podcast form. So this company started the podcast in 2020. It's hosted by two people. One is a certified sommelier. I hope I said that right. And the other is a master of wine. And they just have a lot of fun discovering wine, tasting it. They have on like interesting guests and it's really more of a fun conversation and it reflects and amplifies the personality of the brand. So ultimately for this company, the podcast results in better brand awareness. It helps followers have positive associations with the brand and the consumer can then interact with the brand in a unique way. Prior to deciding that they wanted to start this podcast, the company had advertised on other wine podcasts and they saw some really positive results. So they realized that a podcast listening audience was well suited to purchasing from them. But for them, the podcast ads were expensive. So they thought, you know what, let's have some more control over the messaging and over our audience. And instead of advertising on other wine podcasts, why don't we start our own? And this eventually led into them starting a wine club so that listeners could actually taste and like follow along with the wines that the hosts were drinking in the episodes. I think that's so smart giving that interactive connection back to the podcast. As I said, for them, it was much cheaper and more effective than spending on podcast advertising. And it offers them another customer touch point besides email marketing. So my main takeaway from this is I think it's so smart and creative. I love seeing brands trying something new and different with their content and also learning from their marketing and advertising endeavors. So they tried podcast advertising. It actually worked for them. They had positive results from it. But instead of just going along and sticking with that, they asked themselves, how can we take this a step further and actually even have more control over our data? And they decided to experiment with this podcast and it's been really successful for them. So I love reading about that. 
The next article comes from the official Shopify blog, and it's called Six Amazing Unboxing Experiences and Ideas to Try. I like this. There are really some unique unboxing ideas here. It might be too late to try some of these with your final ship date for the holidays coming up, but if you are now planning your 2023 packaging strategy, then for sure take these into consideration and consider how you can make your packaging more compelling, delightful, and shareable. So these are some ideas. Of course, add a handwritten note. This is something we've talked about on the podcast before. It goes a really long way into creating a personal connection with your customers and honestly, like surprising them because who writes handwritten notes anymore? To encourage customers to share their unboxing on social media. So maybe you can do a giveaway or something for people who share and then hashtag their unboxing posts. And that's a way to motivate people to share on their own social media channels and to get user-generated user generated content. You can add a discount code for a future purchase, which could be especially great. Well, it could work either way. If it's a new customer, maybe you have one type of incentive. If it's a repeat or return customer, maybe you have a different kind of incentive and messaging to inspire them to come back again. If you have people on your team hand making the product, or if it's just you, put a little bio of the person who had like their hands in making the product. I love uh, the brand Lush, the beauty brand and uh, skincare body brand Lush. They have these little stickers on all their products that has the name of the person who made it. And I think it adds such a personal and human touch to your products. You can also, if supply chain transparency is a value to your jewelry company, you can have like a where has your product been jewelry and say like, where is the gemstone from? Where is this component from? Where is the packaging from, etc.? And add that transparency into the supply chain that you utilize. And then truly remember to brand every component of your packaging from like the tissue paper to the box it's in to the actual the shipping box the box the jewelry's in etc um one experience i recently had with a brand i ordered some skincare products from this brand called ren r-e-n and they're really into sustainability eco-friendly practices etc it's part of their core values. And I ordered some stuff on Black Friday and it came in a reusable, like corrugated cardboard box that had a QR code in it that you can scan to find out how you can return the box so that it can be reused again and again. And it had their branding on it. I've never seen anything like that before. And I thought it was so cool for their brand to do that. So make sure that like, not just aesthetically, but maybe a little deeper than that, like the actual materials that you're using are representative of your brand and your brand values. So my main takeaway from this is putting time, thought and effort into your packaging with the goal of giving your customer 
A wonderful unboxing experience is highly underutilized and underrated, and you should really think about this going into 2023. And then the last article comes from Marketing Dive, and it's called Live Shopping Comes to Select NYC Holiday Window Displays. So thanks to this article, I heard about a really cool mode of holiday shopping this year. And this live commerce company called Talk Shop Live is facilitating this really out of the box live stream shopping experience. So you know I've been talking about live stream shopping a lot on this podcast. Well, Talk Shop Live combined the entertainment, the convenience, the accessibility of live stream shopping with holiday windows in New York City, legendary, traditional, kind of old school in a way. So in several retail windows throughout Manhattan, Talk Shop Live is broadcasting shows featuring celebrities promoting various products. During the shows, people who are walking by can scan QR codes and then shop purchase the products that are being featured. One retailer in particular is using this in like a unique philanthropic way. So Saks is using its Saks Live virtual events platform to tout a partnership with the Elton John AIDS Foundation. And they're using the platform to unveil its windows to the world along with a special appearance by John singing his hit, Your Song. So it's a cool way to offer entertainment in the shopping experience to like connect with a philanthropic cause, to um, create the convenience in the shopping experience. It's a literal window shopping come to life. And I'm really interested to see how this technology evolves. My main takeaway is I haven't been to New York City in a few months. So I'm wondering, has anyone seen these interactive window displays? I'd love to know from a real person if they feel enticing or engaging, but overall, I just love reading about how tech disruptors in retail are really trying to reinvent the the experience that customers have. For more information about any of these articles, check out the links in the show notes. As I mentioned earlier, my guest today is an expert in brand storytelling and full circle visual expression for retailers. Emma Morgan is the founder of Emma Morgan Creative, a conceptual and strategic boutique design studio based in New York. Her business provides visual concept design and creative strategy consulting for brands and retailers of all sizes. Emma's approach is backed by a decade of experience and fueled by the process of creation and her own natural curiosity. Her projects include brand activations, pop-up shops, exhibitions, events, product launches, visual merchandising, product presentation windows, and more. So without further delay, let's chat with my guest, Emma. Hey, Emma, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you as a guest today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this. So please tell our listeners and viewers, how did you first become involved with retail and brand environments? Like what first piqued your interest about this field? I've worked in retail ever since I was 15 years old. Um, You know, my first job was at a store in the mall and um, the store manager 
would often give me projects to reset or create displays. Um, and I really enjoyed it and excelled at it. And I, at the time, didn't know that that was a career that I could take. Um, but once I learned that visual merchandising was a career path, um, I kind of dove, you know, headfirst into that. Um, having, you know, retail experience at a couple stores, I went back to school at FIT and studied visual presentation and exhibition design. Um, so that really rounded out my interest in education around brand environments and how to create them um, and, you know, just started my career from there. Is there something specific about all that that kind of lights you up or makes you excited? Like, could you say what that thing is? I think it's the the impact it has both big and small. Um, so big meaning, you know, on the business and ultimately, ideally, the bottom line of the business and increasing sales um, or, you know, visibility of that business or brand. Um, and then small, you know, a great display or environment can really light up someone's day um, or create a memorable experience for them. You know, people are shopping, uh, you know, whether it's for themselves or for a gift or just to pass time. It's a form of entertainment. Um, so they're really looking, you know, to stores subconsciously to entertain them. Um, and I think, you know, creating a branded experience or environment that does that, you know, that's, that's really the goal. So I think it's, you know, that big and small impact, um, that really drives me, uh, in this uh, field. That makes a lot of sense. So I think one word we'll, we'll probably be throwing around a lot today is the word activation, which I remember yes. first hearing it a few years ago and I was like, what does that mean? I, I don't really <laughs> get it. So I think it's important for us to define it and how it relates to branding and marketing. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because it is thrown around a lot and it came kind of out of nowhere, I feel. Um, so activation to me is taking a physical space and dressing it with a theme or something to convey a story that connects to a customer. Um, so that might sound a little complicated, but you know this can be done through store windows, um, front table or case displays, um, or even a defined you know zone or room within you know maybe a larger store. Um, and you know it, it's it's really I think if you kind of you know imagine in your head walking through a mall or down you know a main street those elements that catch your eye when you see a store um that's really activation you know it's we've stores and retailers have been doing it forever there's just now a name for it because it's becoming um i don't know it's just more prevalent i guess that um smaller retailers especially um, are starting to do that more and more, not just, you know, big brands that have multiple doors. Um, so I, like I said, I think it's a, a dressing of a space or an area, you know, it's activating that space, it's catching that client's eye um, to stop and, you know, see what you're showing or promoting. I really like, yeah, I really like the way that you define it. I think like, 
I don't know. There's something about that word that sounds so fancy that I usually hear it used to describe like these more elaborate, like high budget right. kind of production. So that's what I usually associate an activation with. But I like that you're saying it could even be a display case, something small. And so that's really refreshing yeah. to hear. And I, and I think that, you know, yeah, I agree. Maybe people don't think of it in that small scale, but as I mentioned, you know, this has been a retail trick, if you will, uh, since the beginning of retail. You know, it's something that um, a store or retailer or brand does to entice the customer. Um, and yes, I guess that's what I was alluding to, that activation has become this, um, you know, bigger word because there are the, you know, more um, pop-up shops or these grand installations brand exhibitions, things like that, that are more mainstream now. Um, but yeah, it can be as simple as, you know, changing out the color in that front jewelry display to promote a new line um, versus, you know, taking over an entire department store and, you know, adding some specific branding or story to that. So it comes in big and small. So you mentioned some kind of general examples. Are there any that you think are better suited or more specifically suited for a luxury or a jewelry brand or can really any of them apply? Um, I think something that jewelers do quite often are trunk shows. Well, I know jewelers do those quite often, I should say, not I think. Um, and you know, having either like a traveling collection or, um, you know, a, a bespoke collection come in from a specific brand at a, at a retailer. Um, I mean, that definitely helps to activate a store and bring in clients, whether new or old. Um, and that can tie into events as well. So, you know, creating some sort of event or call to action for someone to visit your site or come to your location. Um, you know, that's definitely something I think luxury jewelers in particular um, can leverage, and I'm sure most do. Um, and the other one, I guess, is one of my favorite things to work on is um, pop-up shops. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean um, a full-blown, you know, big out-of-home experience Again, that if you're a brand that's, um, you know, being sold in a small town or a smaller um, jeweler, you know, that's like a regional jeweler um, that carries multiple brands, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to do something uh, for a season that amplifies your brand, um, can kind of be like a pop-in shop, like it's in the, that retailer and it's just taking over a small space um, within their location to really amplify your brand's personality or a new collection. Um, I think that can go a long way. And again, that's another reason to invite clients or customers into the store. Um, and, you know, with that kind of a, a tangent is, you know, eventing is is a very important um piece, at least from my experience, to selling jewelry or luxury goods. Um, you know, luxury items are things that you don't necessarily need. Um, and that's a, the business, you know, we would always say that in um, 
one of the retailers that I had worked at for many years. It was a luxury jeweler. And um, we would often say that to one another, like we remind ourselves like this isn't something that people need, but they want it or it's uh, an aspiration. It's something that they're gifting to somebody. It, they're treating themselves or their loved one. Um, so, you know, it's a special purchase, especially jewelry. Um, you know, you're not purchasing jewelry every day. Um, so taking it that extra mile and, and creating an event or a moment in the store that is even more special. So is there, you know, a level of personalization or some sort of unique experience that doesn't even necessarily need to be related to jewelry or the product that you're selling. It could be, you know, chocolate tasting or floral arranging. Um, but it's an opportunity to amplify your brands um, through something that is engaging with the customer. Um, so, you know, you might be inviting them in for this small uh, or for a, a pop-up shop or a pop-in in, in, a, in the store, but how are you entertaining them while they're there? You know, what are what memory and relationship are you building with them once they're in the door? You know, of course you want to make a sale or or get them excited about what you're you're promoting, but at the end of the day, what are they going to tell their girlfriends about? You know, oh, I went to so and so retailer and you can't imagine what we did. We made these floral arrangements and we tasted this champagne and you know, and ultimately you're you're creating a memorable experience and building that relationship um through, you know, whatever that um activation is. And that's that's the goal. Yeah, that's a really good point. One thing you mentioned when you were talking is that it can give an opportunity to amplify a brand's personality. So I'm, I mean, obviously there are lots of ways for a brand to kind of communicate its core or like its emotional resonance. So what do you think it is about these activations that give it that other level, that amplification? Like, why is that such an opportunity for a brand? Um, I think, you know, it's a really great question. I think that Building that relationship with your customer is, you know, one of the most important things you can invest in. Um, and, you know, I know a lot, most of my experience um, takes place in the physical space and, you know, store design and visual merchandising um, or brand experiences. But, you know, you want to make sure that that personality is expressed through and through. So, you know, in a physical space, online, um, it, through your social media, through whatever outreach you're doing, um, and specifically in brand activations and physical spaces, you know, taking simple cues like color and um, expanding it to take over an entire space. Um, could be a really simple way to express your personality. Um, but then, you know, maybe there's more refined or subtle ways that you're doing that through um, if there's, you know, linens that are being used, if it's a, you know, like a breakfast event or something, and there's some tables, the linens, the china that you're renting, the flower arrangements on the table, 
um, or, you know, a, a calligrapher that maybe speaks to a more elegant or traditional kind of brands. Um, if, you know, if that's not your flavor, maybe you're working with uh, a painter and they're doing something that's more creative and um, colorful, you know, choosing whatever those um, kind of event elements or activation elements, making sure that they um, communicate those core values of your brand. So I'm going to pick a brand that everyone knows, Anthropology. Uh, you know, I think most people know Anthropology is very creative, um, definitely colorful, more bohemian. Um, there is a level of elegance, I think, through their um, the clothing that they curate as well as the homewares. Um, but like, you can immediately imagine all of those things. I mean, we most people have been in an anthropology, um, but you can see it through not only the curation of their product, but also through how they decorate their stores. You know, it's a bit more eclectic and kind of found objects and items reimagined into new things, you know, really leveraging that creativity. And, you know, when they have events, it's the same thing, you know, taking, um, you know, perhaps they're reinventing something and even asking the customer to create something. You know, I, I think just using that as an example, I, I haven't worked for anthropology and I've never been to an anthropology event, but I could imagine, you know, if I was doing something for them, you know, I think creating is a really big part and creativity is a big part of their brand language and their personality. So I would imagine that could be something like a through line through however they're expressing themselves through an activation or an event, you know. Uh, total opposite side of the spectrum, like what is Nike doing? You know, it's more about lights and digital and, you know, even virtual expressions you know, that they do in their stores or their pop-ups. And um, I don't know if that's making any sense. I feel like I'm talking in a little bit of a circle, but um, and did I answer your question? Yeah, it makes <laughs> a lot of sense. And um, I'm kind of glad you brought up anthropology so I obviously don't work in act brand activations that's not my specialty at all but hearing like anthropology just brings up for me in years and years ago like go remembering going into their stores for the first time or kind of just learning about the brand and I feel like they were so ahead of the curve in the in-store yeah. experience I just was blown away by like being in that environment and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on there do you feel like they kind of paved the way for other brands or were there other brands already doing that around the same time that they were experimenting um I do feel like they were one of the more um quote-unquote mass brands that were doing that you know I think that their uh flagship level department stores, you know, may have invested more in that in-store experience or creating unique environments um, over time or around that time. Um, but for more of a mall or street facing, you know, single standing store, I do believe that they really were one of the first that 
leveraged creativity to communicate their brand to customers um, in such a beautiful way. I mean, it's their everything they do is really lovely. Um, and I also have similar r memories of going into anthropology for the first time. And again, not really knowing that visual merchandising and that kind of display um, design and installation was a career, but it was always, you know, I was always a creative person and liked to build things. I uh, studied art and art history and, um, around that time, let's say 15 years ago, um, you know, I didn't really know where I was going with my career. I graduated college and, and there was an anthropology that had opened near me and yeah, definitely had a similar reaction of like, wow, this is really amazing. I'd never experienced a store like that before. And, um, for me, it starts the, that started to like set off little sparks in my head along with my retail experience at the same time of like, okay, maybe there's something here that I can do uh, and, and, and keep this creativity and my love for retail, you know, in, in one place. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I can th name anyone else, any other retailer that had that level of passion for visual display you know, at such an early time, they definitely um, opened my eyes to it for sure. So if a brand wants to kind of start experimenting with activations or just being more intentional about how they're communicating their brand story, what would be a good place to start? Like what foundation do you really need to be able to do this even on a small scale? Yeah, um, I think really understanding what your um, personality for your brand is, you know, if that hasn't been something that you've established or you've, you're kind of unsure. Um, I think taking some time to establish what you want that personality to be. Um, in addition, I think setting goals for what that activation or event is achieving. You know, is it purely brand awareness? Is it um, a sales-driven activation or event? Is it just entertainment for your clients um, and customers? You know, figuring out what you really want to achieve from that activation um, will help you establish, or it just will set parameters around it, you know, so it's not so overwhelming because you know, you can go a million different ways. And if you don't know what you're trying to achieve with this um, moment, then, you know, you, you may be essentially wasting money or time or, or thing, precious things like that. Um, so those are two things that I would really think are the foundation. Um, and then the fun things like what's the theme and, you know, who are the, the target client? Is it just your top clients? Is it, um, inviting new people that have never been to your store or have never shopped your brand. Um, so all of those things are important and they may sound basic and straightforward, but at least thinking about those elements prior to activating um, will hopefully make a more successful outcome for you 
um, and your customers. If that makes sense. I'm, I'm assuming it does. Um, yes, those are great. Tips. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. mean, I think I forget the word you said, but kind of simple or basic, but it just is like that's the foundation you need. And yeah, I exactly. Think it's maybe not as ba- it sounds basic, but I think it actually takes time, introspection, yes. testing, knowing your customers. Like it's a lot more complicated than it sounds or appears. Yeah, it's not just making a Pinterest board and inviting some people. It's, you know, there's a, there is a little bit more of a strategic approach that I would recommend. Um, because yeah, if, if you're just looking to build brand awareness, you know, it, it's more fun and, um, you know, isn't necessarily about conversion, but if you're looking for conversion and sales, you know, you're, you might be developing an event that's more, um, strategic towards that goal. Um, and, and really having, you know, people try things on or, uh, and it, it's simple thing. It could be simple things like that of like, you know, maybe one event is, is just coming to the store and shopping by yourselves. And the other one is a one-on-one consultation with someone and you're really being styled or, you know, how to wear the jewelry together. Um, could be things like that. Yeah. And I- Spitballing. Sure, sure. I like what you just said, too, because knowing the different goals, basically. I talk to a lot of brands, especially smaller businesses, where they'll do an event and maybe they went into it knowing, okay, this is more for brand awareness or exposure. But then afterward, they're like, oh, but I didn't get sales or it didn't like lead to revenue. And it's like you're crossing lines here. You you weren't consistent with the yeah. goal and you didn't follow through in it. And I see that happen a lot. So not only coming up with the goal, but actually like see, seeing it through and, and remembering like why you did something in the first place. Yeah, like maybe writing it down. Um, I'm definitely a big believer in writing down goals, personal, professional, anything, because it helps you put words to it. But also, at least for me, it helps me remember it and holds you accountable to yourself. Um, So yeah, definitely maybe a third bit of, uh, of the foundations is that kind of like, post event or post activation kind of revisiting okay this was the goal we had did we achieve it yes or no and then kind of figuring out maybe um is there something we should have done differently or or you know kind of working through that again it is introspective and putting that time and work in um but I, at the end of the day, I mean, you're, if you're building a brand or building a, a retail space, you know, that's that's a crucial part of of that um, cycle, if you will. Absolutely. So with brand strategy in general, it's so important to have consistency in every way that a customer is interacting with you, whether it's on your e-commerce website, social media posts, email, like having that same story coming through how can you kind of maintain that consistency in an activation, even if it's because it sounded like in some of the examples, you're getting a little off script sometimes, like you're maybe approaching it in like a parallel way, 
how can you still make sure it's like consistent with everything else? It's a really great question. Um, first of all, I'll say, you know, to me, brand consistency is extremely important um, because your brand is really boils down to what your customer perceives of your brand. Um, so, you know, we're talking about personality and establishing your personality, but if you're not communicating it consistently, um, especially if you're just starting out, um, you may be confusing your customer or your customer may think you're something totally different than what you think you are. So really establishing that personality and what you're aiming to be, um, up front. And of course it can change, you know, if you figure something out, you're like, actually, I want to be more of this, just sticking to whatever that is, um, is really important. And um, ultimately branding is communication. So how you communicate that in a physical space is, you know, if you, I guess it doesn't really matter. How you communicate that in a physical space is, um, you know, doesn't really depend on whether you started physical or started e-commerce. I think it's really just about that consistent language throughout your language on your website, your uh, photography on your website or your social media channels, which may be slightly different because, you know, the the type of um, viewer might be slightly different, but ultimately they're they're tied into the same language, both visually and verbally. Um, So pulling from those cues, if you, you know, started as an e-commerce brand, and making sure that they show up in a physical space um, are really important. So let's say, you know, your brand has um, bold colors and you only show individual pieces of jewelry um, in each shot of photography. You know, then when you're setting up an activation, keep that in mind. You know, maybe you're not using the exact same colors or, um, only using one color, but, you know, how are you using color in your events? Is it where the jewelry is or is it where, um, you know, they're serving cocktails? Like how is that color infused and what is that color? Um, and then similarly, you know, if you're only showing, uh, one piece of jewelry in each of your, uh, photographs for merchandise, maybe when you're displaying it physically you know you're you have a little bit of space around everything there's a little breathing room things have time or customers have the opportunity to see each piece individually they can still be adjacent to other things but it's not you know a quote-unquote flea market where everything is layered and there's 400 pieces and a four-foot display case you know it's i think it's it's those subtle things that you know, you may not have thought of, um, but that really helped to create that consistency um, to a customer. They're starting to see the same colors, the same cues, the same layouts of products um, as they are on your e-commerce site and vice versa. So if you, you know, started in brick and mortar and, and you have a specific way of showcasing the product, you know, how do you bring that um into your website. And I guess I'm speaking more on like basic or not basic, 
uh, just general terms. Um, and when it comes to an activation, yes, I think there is an opportunity to kind of tweak that or, or deviate just a little bit. Um, but I, I do believe that that depends on the age of your brand or the, the level of awareness your brand has. Because again, you don't want to con confuse your customer within the first year by doing like 20 different things that aren't related. Um, just my own personal opinion. But um, again, consistency is key. And that's, it's all, branding is all communication is how I see it. Yeah, when you were talking, I just thought of uh, something else as well. Because I work with brands that have a direct-to-consumer channel that's only e-commerce, so they don't have their own proprietary in-person space or activation necessarily, but they do have retail partners who serve as their like representatives, basically. And those retail partners are the ones who are merchandising the product, having the cases, kind of setting mm -hmm. up the in-person feel. Can any of this be applied, or do you have tips for how to kind of guide your your retail partners yeah. to really make this come to life for you yeah for sure i think um those you know e-commerce brands that are, are working with retail partners should definitely have a point of view of how their product looks in a physical space um, when working with those retail partners um, again putting that time and thought into that prior to that retail partner potentially just doing it on their own. Um, obviously, there's time to, to finesse that um, over time. It doesn't need to be the perfect scenario right from the beginning, but I would at least have a point of view like, okay, like I was saying before, do I want product layer? Do I want an individual? Do I want all the pendants together in one case? Do I want to show stacking rings? Like how, how do you want it to show up? and working with that retail partner to establish that. Um, I mean, if you have the ability, create some sort of directive or photo guidance for them to follow or, or at least guide them. Because um, obviously on the other end, that retail partner is looking to um, utilize that space in their store to the best of its capacity, which ultimately as we know, means sales. So, you know, they're going to want that that spot in their store to be productive. And um, so they may have a different idea of what that looks like. But I think coming in with a point of view as that brand and saying, you know, this is my brand's personality. This is how we want to show up. And this is why um, can, you know, I don't necessarily have experience with that exact conversation, but I would imagine that the retailer would be impressed of like, oh, wow, they really thought this through and they'd be willing to work with you if if it was kind of uh, opposite to their typical displays. Um, so yeah, that would be my recommendation is, is really thinking about what your point of view is in a physical way um, and, and partnering with the retailer to um, establish that to the best of their capacity. So what are your favorite brand activations that you've seen recently as someone with this trained eye? I think you would have some interesting perspectives. 
Um, I really love um, the Valentino uh, pink expression that's going on right now. I think they partnered with Pantone in a, with that. Um, but they've just been painting everything pink, essentially, if you haven't seen it. Everything's hot pink. Um, it's simple. One color, just all over the whole store, all the products. But it's super impactful and memorable. Um, and I haven't seen it in real life, but from what I've seen, um, you know, on the internet and then just on social media, it's, it's really, um, I guess like memorable. It's the first thing that came to mind when you said that question. Um, and, you know, I'll, I will be honest, I've been on a little bit of a hiatus from, from being at stores, um, just the past couple months. So I haven't seen a lot of things in person. Um, but I'm looking forward to the holiday season. I feel that especially after the last two years that stores are going to go a little bit more or a little bit bigger, hopefully than they have. Um, and I'm excited to see kind of what those activations are and the holiday decorations and, um everything like that in the coming months i know it's really fun i personally do get entertainment out of just <laughs> seeing yeah. what, what stores are doing um so i enjoy that also are there any really good brand collaborations that you've seen doesn't have to be super recent but just in general like two brands working together to produce something interesting mm-hmm. um i love brand collaborations i do um What's great about them is seeing how two unique brand personalities and aesthetics are then expressed together. Uh, like sometimes you hear about the collaboration, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's never going to work. Like it's they're total opposites. Um, but, you know, I guess opposites do attract and, and they create something totally new and unexpected that you would never think. Um, you know, one of those that comes to mind is um, Smeg and Dolce & Gabbana. So Smeg is that, you know, um, I don't know if they're Swedish or I don't know exactly where they're from, but home, small home electronics, like coffee makers and toasters, very sleek, kind of look like 50s cars. And then Dolce & Gabbana, the most ornate, over-the-top Italian everything, you know, maximalism to the 10th degree, would think they're total opposites, but you know, that collaboration happened, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, and it's still successful. Like they're still creating new items and creating pop-up shops. Uh, I saw one last year. Um, so that's one that, you know, again, total opposites that you wouldn't think would work, but are really exciting when they come together. Um, I think Gucci does a really great job at collaborations i know they do a lot of them like if and the branding is always really top notch um so like gucci and the north face uh was a really great one that i saw or gucci and adidas um i think a lot of shoe companies do great collaborations because <laughs> it's a kind of easy thing to add um you know someone else's aesthetic or color or codes to like Nike, Adidas, like I said, um, and even Birkenstock, like Birkenstock does a ton of collaborations 
and you know they have such a simple form to their footwear but adding a different material or some sort of decoration can really help communicate the other brand that they're collaborating with um and of course all the the pop-ups and in-store experiences that go with all of these you know things that i definitely keep tabs on and um are really exciting to me again how how they bring both of those house codes into essentially one space or one brand that they're creating is always compelling and surprising um and i think that's again going back to kind of the beginning of the conversation and entertaining your customer so you're bringing two potentially different kinds of customers together and entertaining them with something you know totally unexpected and totally new um, is a great way to to activate and uh, to entertain your customers. That's a great point. And I like that you brought up the especially unexpected um, Dolce and Gabbana, Gabbana and now I can't remember the name of the brand. Smeg. Smeg, yeah. Totally different. Yeah. And it's really interesting to me because I have some clients where we've like talked about doing brand collaborations and it's difficult for them to see a potential collaboration in a brand that has an aesthetic that is unlike theirs. And they're almost always looking for something that like matches aesthetic wise. And I love hearing about these very unusual and unexpected collaborations to show that there is potential in being more surprising and that is actually preferable in many ways because it's like oh okay that doesn't really make sense at first but I'm into it <laughs> exactly yeah I mean there are like crazy ones out there of, of like you know fast food brands and I think it was Warby Parker and Arby's like okay those are two totally different things but again you're you're using the, the customer base from both those brands and introducing them to the other and then you know creating this magical collaboration in the middle um so and we're talking about it you know i think that's ultimately when it's surprising people talk about it if it's unexpected you know if it's expected and kind of like too related no one's or not no one, but it's less memorable, I should say. Um, I would, yeah. <laughs> so this has been really informative to me. I think our listeners and viewers learned a lot about what an activation is and what are some elements of successful activations. What's coming up for you on the horizon with your work? Is there anything excited that you want to share? Um, well, as I mentioned, I've been on a little bit of a hiatus. Um, I just had a baby. So um, I don't have anything immediate coming up, I will say. But I have a couple things down the pipe that I'm looking forward to working on. I can't really share too much, but I am looking to work with a couple of different um, retailer, uh, small jewelry retailers on um, some projects that they have coming up. But yeah, I'm looking forward to holiday displays, as I mentioned, not necessarily any that I've created, but just seeing kind of how um, this season kind of takes form. And um, 
you know, any new projects for myself that are coming up in 2023, uh, kind of once I'm back in the flow of uh, working and uh, yeah. Well, thank you, Emma. This was super fun. And congrats on your baby, by the way. That's amazing. And I totally <laughs> understand that you want to take a break <laughs> from things. So I appreciate your time. And yes, thank you again. Yeah, thank you so much. This was really great. What did you think about my interview with Emma? To learn more about her and her services, visit Emma Morgan Creative. You can also always email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To purchase a signed copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy, visit joyjoya.com slash book for more information. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about working with Joy Joya, visit joyjoya.com, where you can sign up to download our free eBooks about various topics in jewelry marketing.